here we are, Josh Shaw. We're back on the airways. I'm actually finally um, established in a, a place of, I don't know, it's like a safe haven in here. I mean, I don't have the green grass in the background, but I do have um, my cool little FI thing back. I have a window. I mean, that's cool, right? I mean, I have a window, and you have um, you. Have you. you have Josh I just Shaw. have me in, in the same old green grass. Yeah, it's boring. I know. You're the one that had all the news this week with the move and um, people could have saw on your social media all the snow that you guys got, which you miss is it. disgusting. Tell me, tell me and tell the world that you, you miss the Ohio snowfalls. I don't. I don't miss anything about the seasons in Ohio, um, even though, I mean, every once in a while it would be nice for it to cool down here. It is actually cooler in Texas today, but um, for the most part, it's always hot, hotter, and hottest. Uh, yeah, and you're, you're, you're choosing to potentially build the stay in Texas. I mean, that, that's the type of climate that you're in. You, you like that kind of stuff. Josh Hall thrives in that type of world, hence why your hair is always so perfect, because you yeah. have the humidity. It's, it's, I don't, I actually, I don't know what humidity actually does to the hair, because I don't keep up with that stuff. But what I do keep up with, and is what you keep up with, um, is the sports nutrition industry. And there is a topic that I've been thinking about for a couple weeks, especially since we had Aaron Singerman on the show, and he had he had dropped the news um, here, I think, before anybody else, actually, on this podcast, that Redcon 1 will be going into Walmart, which, I mean, is I, – I wouldn't say it was a shock to me. I think in the beginning his mindset was, like, we're not a Walmart brand potentially in the beginning. I, 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 I thought I've heard him say that in the past. But now that Redcon is going into Walmart, and we've seen other brands on Walmart store shelves, and I guess let's start the conversation with this. Like, when I say – the brand name Walmart, what does that mean to you as a consumer, Josh? I think it's changed a lot. Um, yeah. If you would have asked me that question, you know, even a few years ago, I probably would have answered it much differently. But for me, I think it's not your parents' Walmart, I guess, in the sense of being, you know, super low cost, even though that is so one of their strong propositions. But They've really broadened their merchandising. They've really leaned into omni retailing. So a lot of what is happening with online is really broadening their customer base. So they have to really bring that on into the store because there needs to be some type of parity between store and, and online. If their online merchandising is all like high-end premium stuff and then you go into a store and it's super discount, people would be confused. So I think that Anybody that is thinking about Walmart in a yesteryear perspective, they're missing the boat. Mm -hmm. um, though it's still that place that you can get, you know, low cost things. It's still that neighborhood market. A lot of times in small towns, it is the spot, you know what I mean, where you can get your groceries. Also, the spot where a lot of the people work at. Um, it's one of those kind of community building areas. But I think. For our space, if people just look at it as, oh, my brand would never fit in there because I'm not a low cost, I'm not this cheap, I don't want to water down my stuff, it takes away the cool level, I think they're missing the boat completely. That's the big thing. You said water down. And let's be real. A lot of the products that you find on Walmart shelves are a, a different product than what you're going to find potentially at a, you know, the brand's website. Or Muscle Tech, for instance, right? We, we talk about them quite a bit. They have a line specifically formulated for that channel. I mean, that's it's you know they have I think three different tiers of products now, and one of them happened to be there. I think Cellucor is very similar. They are, are, are there's Iovate, there's Nutribolt, um, Redcon, kind of an anomaly. They're not changing anything, which is great. But 
I think the answer that you would have answered or your response two years ago or four years ago um, is a response or a point of view or a stigma that still exists with Walmart today to a lot of consumers. Now, you obviously are way more educated on Omnichannel and what Walmart and Walmart.com is doing within the space and how it's changing um, as, they're, as they're trying to go you know, fight the fight against Amazon. But I think a lot of consumers still think, okay, Walmart is that concrete floor like low income people shop there. Like that's if I shop at Walmart, if I get seen at Walmart, like people are going to judge me. I mean, that's that's stupid. It, it, it really is stupid. Uh, but that does exist. I mean, I, I think about my hometown. We had a Kmart. I don't know if you remember Kmart's, Josh. Yeah. I mean, you probably do. Most people listening to this are probably like, "Fuck is a Kmart?" But uh, then we had a Walmart, and it, it it put Kmart out of business. Like that's the power that Walmart has, and it's not just Walmart. It's Target. I mean, it's other stores too. So the the, the theme of this podcast is as as a you know as we we look at this. Does it impact the point of view on the brand? Do you look at the brand or do you think the brand now loses some of its coolness if they're on the store shelves at, say, a Walmart? Now, let's start with like some – so Islegate, for instance, Muscle Tech. I mean, in your opinion as a consumer, so take off your consultant hat. Like would you, would you buy the products at Walmart that are on the shelves from, say, Muscle Tech or Cellucor? Now, am I also assuming that I don't have any other prior? Like, I don't have all that other information as you know, a consumer for the last twenty years. Right. You're, you're, you're. I would say that your knowledge on dietary supplements probably give you the right to say no in that case, if if, if that's what you want. I mean, I wouldn't. I'll be honest. I, like, I wouldn't buy it. But then again, I don't hold it against the brands for being there. I, I totally understand why they're there. But I think I have made the comments in the past, like. You know, being these brands are just you know watering down their formulas for Walmart and just stay the hell away from it. I've said that on record, and I'll say it on the record here. Like, I wouldn't buy, nor would I recommend somebody go buy a product's brand or a brand's product at Walmart. I, I just wouldn't. I think where everybody gets kind of tripped up on this is that you know somebody that's asking you a question is a much more advanced user, even if they're not. You know, in your eyes, if you look at them and they ask a question, you think, well, that was a silly question. They should know that. Comparable to somebody that would never even know to even ask you a question, that they're so far more advanced. So for them, it might not make sense for them to buy something at a Walmart um, or some other mass retailer because they're already past the point of knowing they need to ask a question. They want to they want to get better. They want to buy the right products, so they care. But a lot of people, maybe they have no understanding. Maybe they go to maybe Planet Fitness. Maybe they just started at Planet Fitness and somebody told them, hey, you should try pre-workout. They're at Walmart buying the groceries and it's there. Mm -hmm. For them to go and try to do research and try to figure all that stuff out, it's just a friction point. So they're there. It's something on shelf. It seems like it's going to work well for them. And that's like their entry point. So instead of it being you know, $35, their entry point is Eighteen dollars, mm -hmm. and for a lot of people, that is the starting point. Now, over the next six months, if they continue at Planet Fitness and they they're getting in shape and they're loving what they're doing, odds are they're going to probably start following some influencers online. They're going to start to look at maybe some articles on Bodybuilding.com or something like that, and all of a sudden, then they start to get a little bit more advanced and they think, okay, I need to move away from this eighteen dollar pre workout. Maybe I need to go and buy it at somewhere else. You know, and I think that that's where a lot of people get tripped up because you do want to have entry points at different you know, levels. It's not necessarily somebody can just go from zero to 100. It's very hard for the majority of consumers, especially ones that are just trying to get into the space, 
um, to do that. It, it would be too complicated. And honestly, they wouldn't even get the biggest amount of benefit anyways out of some of these things because they're not even probably working out to the level that these things would be as much of a useful as somebody else. Yeah, I think your point on entry point is, is valid 100%, right? Like walk down the aisle, you're grabbing a box of Quest Bars, you're grabbing a pre-workout, you're grabbing uh, Body Force or whatever the hell the protein is that they carry there uh, for the very first time. But then, yeah, you're right. Like if this becomes a routine or a lifestyle for that consumer, they're eventually going to ask questions. And they're going to be educated, and you and you have to start somewhere. Like I said, I've, I've said I think on this podcast before and other podcasts, one of the first dietary supplements I ever bought came from a magazine that, that you know included like the situation from the Jersey Shore. And that's not that's not any better than going down the going down the aisle at Walmart and buying something. And in fact, going down the aisle at Walmart and buying something is probably better than what I did, you know. And yeah. but you got to start somewhere. And you and I don't have from like a consumer perspective. Sure, I'm not going to Walmart. I'm not buying that. If somebody picks one up from Walmart and asks me what I think of it. You know, I'll obviously give them my honest opinion, but the, you know, it is it is a little bit different because you and I both know that you need to reach a certain price point to get on the shelves at Walmart in order to give them the points that they need and in order to fit their pricing model. And so when I hear Aaron saying we're not going to change the formula, then you start thinking, and this is this is me not not making any accusations at all, but I was, you start thinking like, okay, well, how much does that formula cost in the first place? You know, that they can they can afford not to change it to get on Walmart shelves now. And Aaron's case and Redcom's case, there is a high demand for that brand, and I think that he's probably able to ask potentially for maybe a little bit more. I don't, I, I don't know. Um, I, I've never, never pitched to Walmart. You might have been in some meetings before in Walmart. I'm not really sure how those conversations go. And, and the reason why we're focusing on Walmart, I think, on this conversation is because they're generally seen as the low cost provider in the space because they use an everyday low price model, which we could have a whole podcast on how that works. But it's it, it does then bring up the question, which you know, people in the niche space, in our space that we cover, the hardcore supplement geeks and nerds are gonna right away say, Well, you know, that just proves that that formula is junk or that proves that that formula doesn't cost any money. I don't think I don't know if that's a valid argument. I, I don't I mean I'm not saying that his formula is expensive. It's it's not expensive compared to some out there. But I, I, I don't necessarily think that you can just say it's it's a penny's formula. You gotta remember the volumes that a brand like Redcon, the volumes that a brand like Nutribolt does that can drive down their costs. I agree. And I think that the other way to look at it, even not necessarily from the cost side, is what you mentioned around it being in demand, um, mm -hmm. people going in there. And why, when you asked the first question around you know, my thoughts of Walmart, I started to bring up things around Omni and I started thinking about the website because with these retailers now, they have some more data available to them to know how are things selling online, which is a much more safer merchandising pick for them. Sometimes they buy wholesale. Sometimes it's just sold as a third party seller on some of these marketplaces like Walmart or Amazon. But you know ahead of time, what's the demand? Um, how do you feel like your customers are already picking it up online? And it makes you have more confidence than to stock it in store because you know that there's gonna be a level of both people buying it in store, but also a lot of these retailers, Walmart hasn't really moved to this yet, but Target is an example, like where they ship from store. So they do know that there's gonna be a level of turns organically coming in the store, but they also know we're gonna be able to ship, you know, X amount of these uh, in the current kind of zip codes based around these store locations. And it makes a lot more sense to have that on shelf other than one more kind of cheap, made or, or whatever product. And there's also just like a diversity of brands, I think that these merchandisers are starting to look for. The ones that are on the you know, Walmart shelves or Target shelves or whatever, a lot of them are, are made from brand manufacturers that 
are kind of duplicates. You know what I mean? There's only a few of them that make up all of those brands. And they're the biggest ones, the ones that have scale, to your point around getting the cost down. But those aren't necessarily the ones that have like total demand across all categories of buyers. So then you start to get into this where you're only having, you're only feeding the same amount of the funnel. You're only feeding the same type of customers. And eventually you want to get a broadening of your customer base, especially when you have like data to support it. Mm -hmm. The second, or I don't know what point I'm on now, I'm sure I'm on point 100, but like the, uh, with GNC and, and um, vitamin shop and specialty retail struggling and consumers looking to shop elsewhere or just buying a bunch of things based around convenience or price points or wherever they want to shop at, you have people that are not necessarily just looking for the low cost sometimes in those categories. They're used to buying something at $49.99 at GNC. Now they're over at Walmart and they're like, 35 bucks seems pretty cheap to them or 30 bucks seems pretty cheap to them. And you need to have those kind of on shelf to capture that customer. If, if somebody's used to buying it at 50 and there's an $18 one and that's it, Odds are they're just going to think, as ah, is too cheap, it's not for me, I'm not going to pick this up. So it helps them at least get some of these new customers that are shopping in store um, in these categories. Very, Yeah, very much so. I mean, I'm thinking in terms of, I, I can't remember the number that Aaron threw out, and I, I think we had that conversation on this podcast in terms of what, what, what a Walmart deal means to a brand in, in terms of a bottom line. I, I don't know if he said the, the number 100 million or not. I know we were talking about MRE, RTD one time, and I think that was like a $100 million potential category business for him. But do you know from all the research and, and stuff that you've done, what does, essentially, uh, you know, on average, one SKU at Walmart, nationwide distribution, equate to an annual revenue? That's tough. I mean, obviously, um, there's different price points. Yeah, so, there's so many different price points, different types of products. Um, I think the answer is a lot. I mean, if, if you're at least yeah. earning... It's a I, I would assume if you are on shelf at Walmart in a relatively fast moving um, category, you're looking at and you and you stay on shelf throughout the year and, mm -hmm. and you kind of pull all those levers. Top line, I think you're looking at probably about twenty million dollars, probably. And then for one you know, as you yeah, as you take those skews, as you take those kind of categories of products. So if you had multiple flavors on, I think it still would be around the same sure. um, number. But if you were to kind of jump those around, so if you had say five. Um, five SKUs on there, which would be huge. That's not something that's normal with the Walmart. You would be looking at probably about a hundred million dollars, probably. And that's, you know, there's so many other determinants. You know, is that brand moving very quickly? Is it, you know, there's, you could do a hundred million dollars in one SKU if you really wanted to. So you beg the question: If you're a consumer and you're listening to this podcast and you're like wondering why brands do this, ask, ask yourself the question: Would you be? Would, are you cool with a hundred million dollars in your pocket? I mean, yeah. I think most of us would be now. Uh, now, and then they could be like, well, I have morals. There's nothing morally wrong about being at Walmart. There's nothing morally wrong about being at Target. Honestly, and this is coming from the guy who's been preaching freaking formulas since day one, there's nothing wrong with changing your formula to meet a channel. There's not. And my job is to let people know what I think of that product. I don't care if Iovate or Nutribolt does it. Good for them. They should. You have to change your strategy for the different channels that you're in. Like, you can't, there's not a one size fits all. There, I mean, some places obviously there is, I guess, but I mean, for the most part, you need to, you need to think strategically and differently for different retailers sometimes, for different channels, whether it's online or if it's brick and mortar. So for anybody who actually, you know, shits on a brand for going into Walmart, shame on you. Like honestly, like you need to broaden your perspective, broaden your 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 line of sight on what this means to the brand, what this means to their families, what this means for people who can't afford a forty dollar price point. And they just want something. So maybe they, maybe a $20 pre-workout's for them. 
You know, and if that's what they want, if that's what's going to give them potentially that placebo or that kick in the ass to become healthier, who are we to say no? Yeah, I get a lot of questions around, like, what do you think of this product? Um, they and ask you, I know, always, Josh? They ask Josh yeah, Dahl what they think of what they he don't, I mean, not around the formula, but no. it's mostly around, like, the business <laughs> yeah. use case around that. And I always say, you know, for the intent of this product, it is great. It's properly priced. It's properly formulated for the consumer base. It's in the appropriate channels. I start going through that, and that's how I tend to, like, decipher what's a good product or not. Not a formula, because that formula doesn't necessarily, if it's not matched up with all the other pieces, it, do, it doesn't make sense. It's not a great product for me, because I only look at it from a business right. case. I don't really think about it from, like, you know, this has two grams of this and three grams of that and, and whatever. Um, I'm more looking, and nobody's going to ask me those questions anyways. They ask me about the business uh, side of it. So I always look at the intent, like you were mentioning. There has to be the strategic alignment on all these things, or it doesn't work. If you go in there and you try to you know, push your weight around on somebody like Walmart and not necessarily just Walmart, but Walmart's customers and you don't fit the bill, you're not going to work. It's not going to work out for them. And this is going to be kind of bringing it back to the uh, Redcon situation. It's going to be kind of interesting because they are leading the way on this new wave of uh, Walmart. And it's not necessarily new because there's a lot of other retailers that have already kind of jumped into more premiumization of like the category and not necessarily thinking about it just as like the low cost leader. So Walmart's a little bit slower to this, but I think Walmart being the biggest supplement retailer in the world, it's very important for, to see how this works out to see if there can be some products on there that have some kind of midline price points. I wouldn't call them premium kind of premium for Walmart, but not premium for the category. And It'd be in, it's interesting to kind of see how that goes because I think they're going to really champion that um, and see how that goes. And if that works out really well, I think a lot of people should be rooting them on because then that creates some more opportunities for other brands to kind of jump in behind that and take that um, and really use it to their advantage and their storytelling when they're at you know some of these meetings. But it um, it will be interesting. And I think that the biggest thing to think about when any brand is kind of considering any of these choices. And this could even, I made a video recently around like the dollar channel, do, dollar stores, people yeah. it blows people's mind. Cause they're like, why, why would I want my, my brand ever be in a dollar store? And they don't realize that these dollar stores are literally the fastest growing retail channel uh, in the United States. They have, you know, tens of billions of dollars in revenue and they have more, like locations, retail points of distribution than everybody outside of convenience locations. So it's one of these things where if you get into one of those stores, the potential is so massive. Now that takes a much different uh, strategy than, you know, Redcon could go on there and $35 it doesn't work like that, but they could create like a half size MRE bar and have that on shelf for a dollar, you know, 19 and it could work out really well for them. So it's one of those things to kind of think about and try to look at it from, the consumer's point of view, the consumer really drives the market today. It's not brands. There's no longer a push that works all that well. It has to be a counteracting with the demand, uh, a pull, because consumers really have the, the power in the market. There's so many choices. There's so many substitutes. And they're going to find what they want based around whatever their you know set of criteria is. And they're going to shop where they want, when they want, however they want. It's kind of like pick your own adventure in the world today. Like a consumer really gets to just like decide where they want to be in the um, game and kind of play it how they want. But 
people that are stuck in like this prehistoric days of like, oh, well, I can only be in these specialty stores and I can only be, you know, now online. Those are the only two things that fit because my brand is super cool and super um, authentic about all this. Like, it doesn't work like that anymore. It's not, it's not going to work because at each day, the market shifts. Each day, the market shifts. So, you know, in two years, we're going to look at all those brands that thought they were super cool and they're not going to be in business anymore. I would love to make a fly on the wall for the first conversation that a sports nutrition brand had with Walmart. Like how'd that conversation go? Because I, 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 I'm sure they had preliminary conversations. I don't even know when the first, when Walmart first brought in like protein powders and pre-workouts. I don't think, I mean, I think it's what, within the last 10 years, right? I mean, it's gotta be somewhere in that, that time frame. Yeah. I, I, I'd imagine it's probably from some of the bigger people, like even some of the legacy brands we've talked about before, you know, metrics or EAS or, you know, a Glambia brand or, an, you know, Iowa brand or whatever it was kind of. Right earlier named um it would be super interesting to to be like okay how'd that conversation go and where did it start and then how did it evolve into the model that because to your point i think that model is changing a little bit now because they are doing more of the quote-unquote premium-ish type of stuff with you know total war and uh, being probably the first one and i want to go back to where you said people should be rooting them on absolutely absolutely like if they're able to establish a pricing tier a pricing structure for a premium-ish brand Imagine the doors that could get open. I mean, there are there are certain brands that'll just never be on a Walmart shelf. We know that. They're the brands who put so much money into formulation, not much money into marketing. Those brands won't make it there. But there are brands like like I, a brand like Ghost could be at Walmart. Like they they yeah. could. Um, uh, and and I don't know if Dan and Ryan would ever do it. Um, but I think if they're if they're able to do the errand thing and not have to change much of their stuff, I, I don't necessarily see why they wouldn't at least consider it. You know, I mean, but. Who knows? I mean, we'll, we'll see what Redcon does, but I, yeah, I definitely feel that brands out there, even if you have a dislike for Redcon or anybody involved in that company, but you own a supplement company, a brand, and you're in that sort of mid-tier premium type product, you should obviously be watching this closely and be, um, you should go to Walmart and buy the damn thing. Like, I mean, you should seriously support the cause as much as you can, because if that's successful, it then will open doors for you to be successful um, in the future. So it, it, it will be, you know, I, I, I know... I know Aaron and I know the team at Redcon. They have a whole finance department. I guarantee they went back and said, okay, with a Walmart commit on a PO, our volumes are going to increase by X, Y, Z. Therefore, our costs are going to go down by this. We are going to be you know, perfectly fine to give Walmart whatever they need for a price break on it um, without having to change the formula. They're not stupid, right? I mean, they got a, a massive building in Boca Raton that they, that they have, plenty of employees. Now, someone like me with, say, my butterline, I don't have the resources to go back and run all those numbers. I'd have to, like lean on people in my network and say, hey, they're going to do this. What's it going to But I would still at least do the exercise to, to the point that I could and see if I could reach a price point. Sometimes I feel like people are either too lazy, they don't have the knowledge, um, or they just straight up say, nope, you're Walmart. I'm not interested. Like, I mean, obviously there's not a lot of brands that probably get approached or even have approached Walmart to be in it. I mean, off the top of my head, I can think of uh, ProSups, um, Glombia brands, I of eight brands, Nutribolt brands, and now Redcon, um, Quest, Lenny and Larry's, things of that nature. But in terms of powders and pills, there really aren't many, as many brands as there are in their space. There's like three or four of them at Walmart. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty centralized right now. And I think it's most around not necessarily the merchandising that would work in the store. I think it's more around the business being able to, to your point, actually handle it. So when you all of a sudden turn on, say, 4,000 locations that um, you know, 
that are huge locations. It's not like these are small no. uh, things where you're potentially, you know, moving pallets of products a month. Um, in, in some of these cases, you have to really realize the cost that goes in just from servicing any of that, yeah. um, but also just the resources that need to be in house um, just to do all the little odds and ends and pushing paper around and POs around and all that kind of stuff. There's so many little things that come up as the uh, level of uh, complexity kind of increases in the, in the business. So Walmart is one of those uh, customers that they do a lot of heavy lifting because they've obviously been able to streamline a lot of things. They know how things need to be done. They're, they're going to be very strict in terms of how you need to handle their uh, business, but it does um, kind of bring up the point of just, you have to really have the back end of your business a lot more um, in check and, and the cash flow, capitalization, all that kind of stuff, because if not, you're dead in the water. It has nothing to do with really is your product going to fit or not. It's like if you um, don't have all that stuff in the kind of locked up, you're done. The one thing that we didn't talk about, but is extremely important, maybe one of the most important factors of this whole thing, is stock and supply. Because you cannot have a stock out for somebody like Walmart. Like they are, they are not going to have patience for that. And Aaron and Redcon, again, we're going to speak a lot on them, them because they're kind of championing this model. They don't produce their own products. They use co-mans, right? So they have to have conversations with their co-mans who does their products and say, like, we need to be tight on this. And if we need something, you know, created tomorrow, we need to make sure we get line time for it. Um, obviously, I think they're a big enough company that they probably can do that. But you understand, like. With that comes time. It comes making sure raw ingredients are where they need to be. It's a very complex supply chain to be in Walmart. It's not just as easy to say, awesome, we got Walmart. Let's make it happen. Because I don't know how many, you know, a cat gets nine lives. I don't think you get nine lives at Walmart. I think you might get maybe one if you're lucky. Um, because they expect, I, I believe they expect perfection from their vendors. Because they um, strive to be the best of the best in, in the category in which they play. So, the amount of complexity that goes into a deal like this. And maybe it'd be interesting to, at some point to bring Aaron or people involved in that process back on or even somebody from Iovate or Nutribolt that deals with the Walmart accounts to, to just explain the level of complexity that goes into a deal the size of Walmart. Because we keep talking, like, we talk GNC, we talk Vitamin Shop, great accounts, obviously great accounts. Walmart's on a whole other level. Like, in terms of, of, of buy, of, of just how massive they are, it is on, on leaps and bounds on another level from the other two that we just mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you know, we spent the lion's share of the conversation on Walmart, but, you know, kind of just kind of broadened it out a little bit towards, you know, every single other channel you have, you know, club that's performing extremely well yep. um, around COVID-19 right now, because people are going there a lot more to kind of do their stocking up or just buy the quote unquote essentials or just, you know, the items they like the best. Um, right. Anybody that's in that spot, you are getting a ton of volume from that. So if it's at Sam's Club or um, Costco, you're getting a ton of, of value out of that. You also are getting a lot of um, volume from the grocery stores. So you know, being you know in Hy-Vee with your brand and how they're building out a lot of their like healthy living sections or, or whatever they kind of call theirs specifically, but the um, each one is really looking at it as adding square footage, but also really like deepening the uh, specific products in each one. So it's not necessarily just that one, say, you know, peanut butter, functional peanut butter, or like a fat burner. It's like now we have four or five different options. It's like we're having those kind of uh, broadening or maturing of the categories that are happening. And it does create more opportunities for people to get on um, on shelf. And I think bringing it back to like the rooting 
these brands on. I know a lot of times, you know, competition's competition, but you also need to consider like if you plan on following in the footsteps of a lot of these brands, you know, you should be rooting them on. You should be hoping that they do well. Um, not to the point where, you know, they take up every slot, but you want to make sure that, uh, you know, they do well enough that, that those merchandisers feel confident when you come in the door, because then you can use that as an example. Like, Hey, you know, we are beating this brand that you guys have on shelf in X other markets in these specialty stores or whatever it is. When you have those conversations, it makes it a lot easier because they're like, well, that's still doing really great in our store. So maybe we should have yours also on stock. If, if that brand was not doing any good, it doesn't matter how well you try to sell yourself. They're not going to you know, give you an opportunity. That conversation, what you just said, sounds a lot like the conversation we had around about licensing. Right, like if you're gonna bring um, you're gonna bring Sour Patch Kids on, the industry should have been rooting ghost on because if they could do that correctly and behave correctly and make sure that that was successful, that opened the door for all the other brands to finally you know get collaborations and authentic licensing deals. Same thing here. You you shouldn't be rooting for the door to be creaked open. You should be rooting that Aaron and Redcon kick that fucking door down, like kick it down and let people into that channel and and make it be okay. Like so. Um, competition is amazing. We need it. But at the same time, I think as, as, as somebody who has a competitive set myself now, I look at what my competitors do and I applaud them for things that, that I think move our space forward in the right direction because I didn't do it. So nobody else is doing it. Redcon's doing it. So if, if you have aspirations of potentially being there someday or you'd like to be there someday, put your pom-poms on, get your little skirt on. Start doing backflips like Josh Shaw did back in high school, and that's how he got his free college education. He was a male cheerleader, and say, go, 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 Redcon. Go, go, go. And I'm not sure when they – that's funny, right, Josh? See, I'm a comedian. Yeah. But, the, when, but when this happens, like, I'm going to be paying close attention to it. I will cover every detail on Fitness Informant because I think it's extremely important. And if my followers are like, why are you covering stuff in Walmart, there's a huge reason for it because this is going to make the industry, I think, better as a whole and be more accessible to people. Like, you want – some of these brands you always talk about, like, oh, they're so small, they can't expand. Well, we want if you want accessibility, then we need to give them accessibility. And Wal there's nothing more accessible than besides Amazon than Walmart, walmart.com. Yeah, for our category to have more square footage in some of these, the, the biggest retailers out there is super important. It provides a social proof to the industry as a whole. I always talk about social proof, like uh, um, reviews and stuff, but mm -hmm. if you're thinking about this as, like, uh, a badge of honor – if you have some really strong selling SKUs sitting in Walmart's, Target's, Costco's, um, you know, you're doing something and everybody has to look at that. And then it's kind of the follow the, the leader mentality. Everybody else has to fall in line and say, oh, well, we need to stock more. We need to do more of this merchandising. And then that just creates a snowball effect because as more eyeballs can see it, it's in better areas of the store. It's in more prominent sections. You have more consumers that naturally just pick it up. It's kind of the similar bang effect. Like if you mm -hmm. think about that, like it started out very niche and very it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. And now you see your high school friends that have never picked up a barbell in their life or whatever. They're picking up bang. Like it's the best thing they've ever had in their lives. And it's all over Walmart. It's all over every single retail location that you could even think of. That's eventually where you want all this to go. Now, some people might be on the opposite side and say, like, well, I don't want that to happen. I want us to stay in this niche world of, like, the underground. And to them, I just, you know, say good luck to you because it's not going to work out that way. Um, I do want to end, and then we're getting kind of to the end of this episode, but I want to make a mention around, you know, we're talking physical retailers and we're talking, you know, 
as this is going to be a very big move. But I want every brand that's listening to this or anybody that's listening to this realize that if you are going to start and you're going to go down this path, do not lose your kind of focus on the digital channel. And I'm saying that because every single one of these physical retailers are leaning in heavy into their digital experience. So you still need to understand how do I build a community? How do I drive traffic places? How do I build a brand in a digital sense? And because all that's going to be important, regardless of if you're on shelf or not, each day, less and less consumers go into the store. And because of that, each they, they choose to go through the online world and they choose not to be a part of the rest of that kind of like process of picking, packing and driving it home. They want to get all that stuff done for them. So you need to still be able to do all that, regardless if you are have your ambitions of doing Walmart or Target or whatever. Each one of their days, their business becomes more digital. And mm-hmm. if you're not able to pull those levers the right way and drive traffic digitally, you're not going to win there. So if you, so it's one of those things to like keep your eye on the prize long term. Still, don't drop all of those things you've been doing just because you 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 start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And you're like, I have some you know shots on on shelf. Yeah, if anything, my last year when I was at Mills, we allocated the most funds we ever allocated ever to the Amazon channel, to the digital world, because we didn't have a direct-to-consumer model at General Mills. But we took money away from um, certain channels like Walmart brick and mortar and put it into walmart.com and put more money into Shipt and put more money into Instacart. And digital platforms is where the money went. And that, as a brand, yes, it is amazing to get into Walmart, but figure out what you need what kind of chunk of money you need for walmart.com to support that because they still operate essentially in silos a little bit. Like they do have their different departments um, and they each need their budgets. So, and the last thing I want to end on is you mentioned bang and how it kind of grew and they have pallets at Walmart. Now the the niche sports nutrition audience is going to look at that and say, now it's uncool. Now bang isn't as cool as it once was, but you know, who doesn't give a shit? Jack Olock. You know, doesn't give a shit. Jack Olock's pocket, his wallet, his mansion, whatever the hell that thing costed. And same with, like, Aaron and T- people. Like, you're going, are you going to alienate a small portion of the buying audience, the 5% of the buying audience? Who gives a shit? At the end of the day, like, if that's the set, I mean, yes, you want to please them, but if they're no longer going to buy you because you're in Walmart, then they weren't a brand loyalist in the first place. So you can move on from that. If you guys like this podcast, hit that subscribe button, write us a review, write us a comment over at YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. You can follow us on all those channels as well. You can follow Josh at Jay Shaw Consulting. You can follow us at Fitness Informant. Love to hear feedback. And also, I'd love to hear from brand owners too. I mean, if this is a, a pitch that they're interested in and what you think about brands going into this space and if you are truly being a cheerleader for them to advance our industry forward because, hey, the bigger we get, the more money we all can make too, right? And, and we all want to provide the best type of living we can provide for ourselves, our families, and others involved.